Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Women, we know we all have intuition. You can tap into it. It's hard, but like go with your gut. Hi there. I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to season two of The Females a podcast that deep dives into the world of women, work, and what it takes to build a successful and fulfilling career on your terms. This season will focus on disruption. From disrupting industries to old narratives and definitions of success, and even disrupting new ways of thinking. Today's interview is Elise Lowen, the Chief Content Officer at Goop, and a woman working to disrupt traditional media and e-commerce. In addition to learning exactly how one goes about becoming GPs, <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow's right-hand woman, we'll also be chatting with Elise about all things media and e-commerce in the ever-changing digital landscape, including why it's been valuable for Goop to have their hand in lots of different projects. Pick a lane? Nope. Goop will take the whole damn neighborhood. Thank you very much. And if you've ever listened to the Goop podcast, then you're already acquainted with Elise because she hosts most of the episodes, in addition to speaking at Goop events, planning content, and thinking about how she might replace herself 20 times over, just like any good leader would. We'll also discuss the business of Goop, how Elise has managed to go from an independent contributor to a leader, and even get goopy by talking a lot about trusting your gut and listening to your intuition. And now, this is The Females. All right. So I want to start with how you and Gwyneth, or GP, as she's fondly known at Goop, found each other. And what was the initial sell from her to you to join Goop? So I met Gwyneth through Tracy Anderson. Sort of long story short is through a friend of mine who had gone to work with Gwyneth in London. And Gwyneth at that time was a business partner of Tracy's. And Tracy was working on a book, and so I got involved with that. And then Tracy was opening a studio in Brentwood, and I started writing all the positioning copy for the spa, or sort of the studio, the hair part of it that was attached at the time, the class descriptions. And it was so interesting to me because the person I worked most closely with was Gwyneth. She named all the classes. She took me through all the class descriptions since I was heavily pregnant and had never done the method. <laughs> and I was, it was fun, and I was shocked at the level of the detail that she was interested in. 
and the fact that that stuff matters. Because obviously growing up in media, growing up with words, I think that it really matters. And so it was interesting to me that it wasn't just like, oh, whatever, doesn't just slap some words on it. She wanted to go through it really carefully. And then when she moved to Los Angeles a few months after that, I met her to talk about Goop. Because when I was at Lucky Magazine for a really long time, one of the things that I had done during my time there was work on all these regional editions. So we had done city content. Houston, Seattle, et cetera. And so she wanted to sort of understand how to effectively and efficiently scale content in an international way without hiring a ton of people, which the company was not in a position to do. And so we just sort of generally started talking and I'm sure I bored her because I was like, the domain authority of this site is amazing (laughs) and stuff that I could find online. But we had a great conversation sort of on the living room floor because that's sort of how it goes. You just right. sit on the floor, and which is funny. And we stayed in touch, and I edited a guide for her that she was struggling with. It was a Paris guide, and, and we just sort of kept talking and talking and talking, and then I joined a few months later. Did she pitch you, or were you like, I could I could come on board, and here's what I I was do. already so in. Like, after I met with her, I was like, this is – here is a now I know that she doesn't love long memos. <laughs> and um but I sent her the longest memo in the history of man, essentially, where I was like, this is everything, like this is what I would do, and these are all the rubrics I would create and yada yada. And I think she read far enough that she was she was into it. She's like, she knows what she's talking about. But yeah, I don't think she, I don't know if she read the whole thing. I'll have to but that's the thing that's so funny about Gwyneth is just when I'm like, she she still reads all the content, she looks at the entire buy. She approves a newsletter every week. So just when I'm like, I'm going to test her, she's like, oh, yeah. Well, remember the doctor who was talking about, like, the impact of sleep on your blood sugar in last week's newsletter? So just when I think, like, oh, there's no way. Yeah, well, she's 100% goop. Yes, <laughs> this is not a, an act. <laughs> I know. I think she, ha- like, knows it all by osmosis. Right, right. Well, that's a sign of a good founder who knows yeah. their stuff inside and out. So you've been at Goop for almost five years, mm-hmm. which I don't know if it feels like five years to you, but I, I mean, that's half of Goop's lifetime at the moment. And a lot has happened, as yeah. you mentioned at the time. You know, the company was small. It's a lot bigger now. You're here in Santa Monica. It's got content. It's got curated goods, your own product lines, the events. My personal favorite is the podcast, which I know you host most Thank of the time. You. So how do you guys decide? I mean, was it a conscious decision to be like, we want to start with media or content and then move into these other verticals? Or what's the decision-making process when you expand? So I think many female-led businesses, it's very gut-driven. And then we've had sort of data come in. Like we've really focused on that in the last few years. And it, a lot of it has confirmed sort of what we've already known or felt to be true. But it's also been it's been helpful. But in terms of guiding where we go next, that said, at the beginning, you know, Gwyneth started it as this very low-fidelity weekly newsletter that she was doing herself with an assistant on MailChimp. And that was what Goop was for years, just like building its voice, building its, its, its readership, just creating this authentic is a word that's completely overused. But it was, it was like straight from her heart, you know, and not at all trying to be something. She's very good at just doing what she's doing without looking around and trying to model herself after other people. And that was what Goop was. And then she started creating product 
pretty early on where she saw white space. So instead of being like, oh, I'm going to go do a whole line, it was, I really want to design like the perfect t-shirt with a really great t-shirt company, or I want to make this jewelry case for travel that's like not chintz and floral and something my grandmother would have had, but that has the same utility. And that's, so she started making products in that way that were totally random and unexpected. And I think that's another part of Goop that's allowed it to really persevere because it is not mapped and considered at every single, it's very much an extension of sort of her and now an extension of the team that it's, it finds its way and it's in a very natural way. It's not so roadmap that we're like, and then we do this and then we do 14 pieces of jewelry. And it's very, it's surprising and full of one-offs and little momentary delights and, wow, that's interesting, and it makes the brand feel alive right? and not formulaic and not robotic. Well, it's like you guys haven't picked, like, one avenue to only stick into, which right. is kind of nice because I feel like you have permission to try a lot of different things mm-hmm. when you haven't said, we are a media company, we are a content company. I mean, bring, being a, a lifestyle brand, I think, mm-hmm. leaves enough options open that people are probably – open to that as well. So when when there's a white space, it's like, oh, we can explore that. And I think permission, which is the word that you just used, is a really interesting one because I feel like Gwyneth is playing a role in the culture and she would probably say that people like Oprah have done that for her. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that women always kind of want permission, Mm -hmm. whereas she is like, I am going to do it without looking around without asking if I'm allowed to. And it bothers people that she doesn't. It bothers people that she doesn't stay in a box. It certainly bothers people that Goop as a brand isn't staying in a box. But it's one of those things where it's like, you just start asking questions. And you're like, well, why? Like, why is this how media is? Why is this how commerce is? And she's exceptionally good at doing that Mm -hmm. and pushing and saying, I don't care. Like, we can do it differently. Do you guys ever worry that by doing it differently, it might fail? Or, I mean, I think it's great that she's like, I'm not going to ask for permission. I'm just going to do it. And But that also sometimes brings that, okay, I'm just going to do it. And I tried it and it didn't work. (laughs) Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that there are certain parts of our business that are more successful than others Mm -hmm. and certain things that we've probably done more as like a statement of our missions and our values rather than feeling like it's going to be a massive business. I also think that that's a uniquely feminine part of Goop and the way that a lot of women feel most comfortable. Mm -hmm. We're not a single product business. We're not easy to copy. We're a stool with many legs, you know, Mm -hmm. and and that's how I feel personally always feel comfortable and secure. So we've tried to solve for a lot of that by not having all of our eggs in one basket. We have a media business. We do events. We do commerce. We make our own products. We sell other people's products. Yeah. We have a magazine. We have a book imprint. We have a podcast. Like we're very spidery Yeah. in the sense of, in part because we know who we are as women and that we're not. Most women aren't like, I just want one type of thing <laughs> yeah. over and over and over again. Right. We can talk about work and beauty and health and yeah. we can do it all in the same hour. <laughs> we can be mothers and sexual yeah. beings yeah. and we can work and be nurturing. Right. And, you know, that ability to sort of balance the masculine and feminine energy that each of us have in ourselves and know, like for me personally, being a full-time, more than full-time really working mom of two boys it's like I am in my masculine all day of directing and um, moving things and making things happen and building momentum and giving direction. And then I need to go home and like get into my feminine. Right. 
and drink some wine <laughs> and let my husband figure out what's for dinner. Right. But I think as a business, in the same way, we, we're, we're always working with those energies, like giving and taking and mm-hmm. being soft and also pushing. Right. One of the things I think that's interesting that Goop's done, and I'm kind of starting to see this trend with, I guess, lifestyle brands or media sites in general, is a lot of collaborations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you collaborate with Juice Beauty, you collaborate with Frame Denim. I mean, the list goes on. You guys have tons of great um, partners that you collaborate with. And I always think of the fact that, like, Who What Where now has, like, their target line. So you're seeing more Mm -hmm. of, it's like, I'm really good at this thing this person's really good at that thing, we should collaborate, which I definitely think is a very Mm female-oriented skill too. Do you think that just comes natural or do you think they're, I mean, like what kind of spurred you guys to say, we're going to collaborate with these companies and build these things? I think it is what you said. It's a very feminine quality. And also trying to go against something that I think has become endemic for too many women, which is this feeling of scarcity and that there's not enough opportunity for women and there isn't, but that we should be competitive or it's winner takes all or that we're out to get each other. And I think collaborating, I think understanding where you're strong, where other people can sort of bring interesting skill sets or point of views is also very feminine. And I think the more that women operate from that place of like, I don't need to be everything. I can work with other people to be my own thing and sort of more operating from that like place of self and like understanding really what you bring instead of trying to bring everything. I think that's very productive. Yeah. I think it's a much better and more reasonable way to try to operate a business. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was listening to a panel the other day and this woman, she basically collaborated with a company and she made a product line. She was saying, look, you have to sell a lot of SKUs in Mm -hmm. order to make money. And at the end of the day, you know, whether you are a solopreneur making products or part of a brand and making products, like you do have to sell, you know, Mm -hmm. the product. So she was saying, you know, I did this and then you have to sell a lot of SKUs. And in hindsight, I really wish I had created my own product line figured out how to, you know, mass produce and ship it out and everything like that. What do you guys see at Goop as the pros and cons of collaborating Mm -hmm. versus making your own, especially from like a business perspective? So we sort of do three things. So we do an edit of brands. So we do a buy like a conventional retailer. It's typically we buy fewer number of SKUs. We try to make sure that the site is never overwhelming. So we have that as sort of like, here's our selection of some of the most like wearable, high value pieces out there. Then we do collaborations. Like you mentioned Frame. We have one with Neely Lotan right now. We've done them with Valentino or Christian Louboutin. And those are fun. Like those are supposed to be sort of that like amazing synergetic moment where it's like we kind of put a spin right. on someone's product. CB2. And yeah. CB2. Yeah. yeah. And so we sort of like co-create something that's really fun and exciting and keeps things really interesting. And then we create our own line. So G-Label, which Gwyneth designs with an, a small in-house team, is, again, sort of white space driven. It's the perfect gray sweater that's like a little cool and unexpected, but mm-hmm. something that you'll wear for seasons to come. It's sort of seasonless, timeless, like the perfect pair of khaki pants that are like cooler than your typical khaki <laughs> pants. Or I wear All khaki pants. <laughs> yeah. So it's very white space driven. So we're not trying to like look at the runways and do that. We're doing sort of our own, like what are the things that we wear on the weekends? What are the things that we wear to like a date night? What are the things we'll want to continue to wear? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I like this because at Career Contessa, we offer a lot of different products and services. And I've often found 
like from investors or just people who are kind of in the business, they're always like, so I don't really get what you mm-hmm. do. And it, and so I think for a lot of women or maybe just business owners, sometimes when people don't get your concept right away, it makes you a little like mm-hmm. nervous. Like, oh my gosh, if people don't get this, I don't have enough focus. But I think what you guys are doing is saying, well, we have tiers, we have different verticals, and then we have tiers within those verticals. And it's okay if you don't yeah. get it. We get it. <laughs> we get it. And it's kind of the modern way to do business. It's yeah. funny. Like, I don't think she would mind me sharing this, but in, I think probably the first time Gwyneth went out to fundraise, a lot of the feedback was like, you guys are doing too many things. Yeah. Like focus, yeah, totally focus, focus. Mm-hmm. Like just do one thing or two things. And she was like, that's not going to really work for us. Right. Like that's not who we are as a brand. And then flash forward to... I think the last fundraising round, people were like, this is so amazing that you do all these things. It's so smart. Like, you know, again, that yeah. same thing, this multi, the stool that's wider than yeah. a single product or vertical. It's just funny how that has changed and become like a point of strength when right. it created a lot of anxiety. Yeah. But I think women, we know, we all have intuition. You can tap into it. It's hard, but like go with your gut. Well, I think it's especially hard when this is such a data-driven world. Mm -hmm. So everyone's like, well, show me the data that this works. And you're like, I don't have that yet. I Mm -hmm. just, you know, and I also wonder, you know, women are traditionally better at multitasking. I wonder if there's something, and this is like a much bigger question, like science-wise, but I wonder if something about that works really well for women's brains and why female-driven brands can Mm -hmm. do that, where... I don't know, like the male investor is like not quite able to wrap his head around that. I think men are just simpler on every level. Women are more complex, hormonally, (laughs) emotionally. We are just, we're different creatures. And I think there are a lot of men in this world. And I used to cover tech and cover shopping and cover online for Lucky when it was like, this emerging thing. Everyone who came to do death sides was a dude. And they were all telling me how women shop for jeans. And you're like, you know, really? I'm let like, let me hear it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like the psychographics, like the behavior, I was like, that is not how we behave. Right. There might be data points to somehow suggest that, but that is not what women want. And I think that data is amazing, but I think it often fails in terms of all the softer stuff that makes us uniquely feminine. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very good at gesturing or sort of pointing you to the fact that you're onto something, but it doesn't say like you're onto something forever. It, right, it doesn't right. say this is everything. It's not entirely predictive, particularly for women. Right, right. And men are simpler, particularly with anything within of what they're buying. Hey there, let's take a quick break from today's show so I can tell you about Rothy's shoes, the most comfortable flat you can wear all day for any occasion. Seriously, Rothy's shoes do not require any breaking in time before you can enjoy their insanely comfortable and stylish shoes. I know this because I wear my Rothy's almost daily. I have a pair of sneakers in camo gray and flats in black solid. I wear them to work, to dinners out, and even the occasional power walk with a friend, which is extremely handy when you forget all of your exercise clothes. Rothy's also has numerous colors and pattern selections. The lineup is always being updated. Next up on my list is the point style and red print because who doesn't need a red shoe? And I've also been doing that annoying thing where anytime someone tells me that they like my shoes, I have to give them the full Rothy story. They're comfortable, they're stylish, and they can be washed. Yes, machine washing is a game changer for your shoes. Bonus points that Rothy's are also made from recycled plastic water bottles, which I know might sound that they would make your shoes crunchy, but they're actually really soft. See, I told you I'd give you the full story. 
Bottom line, I love my Rothy's and I know you will too. Right now, Rothy's has an amazing deal for you listeners. Use code FEMALES, F-E-M-A-I-L-S, to get free shipping with no minimum. Go to rothys.com and enter FEMALES to get your new favorite flats and free shipping. It's really a no-brainer. Shoes that are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable with free shipping. Yep, that deal was totally made for you. All right, now let's get back to the show. So you're the chief content officer at Goop, which is a big job. And I'm sure with all the different things that you guys create there, I'm kind of curious, what do you focus or prioritize and and how do you kind of manage it all? You know, it's interesting because when I started five years ago, you know, I had worked my way up the masthead on magazines. But when I went to Goop, it was very much, I mean, there were four or five of us at that point. We were sort of rebuilding and restarting in the U.S. And... I was doing stuff I hadn't done since I was 22. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it was really fun to get sort of reconnected to the work where I was writing product caption. I mean, I was writing everything. I was writing almost entire newsletters. And then we've grown, obviously, significantly. Now we have, as you mentioned, it's like newsletter. All We do all the product copy, all the branded content. We have a book imprint. We have a magazine, so on and so forth, social the hardest challenge, I think, is that transition from being an individual contributor to being sort of a manager slash mentor. Yeah. And I had managed throughout my career like pretty effectively. But now I'm like, I don't have time. I, like, it's a sad realization when people come to me with an idea for a story. Someone tells me about a doctor or something really interesting. And I'm like, you know, I'm the worst person to pitch now. Right. Like, if you want to be on Goop, you don't want to start with me. Because I don't have time. Right. And and what I think about all the time is like trying to make myself replaceable 20 times over. Right. Which I know is weird, but I want to believe like if I had, if I walked away or something happened to me, that Goop would be fine. Right. That everyone understands how to do their jobs. And sure, people might miss me. (laughs) I'm sure they would miss you. (laughs) But that there are like all these leaders and incredible editors and thinkers that are on the team who can like keep it going. And that's really Gwyneth's goal too, is over time to have Goop usurp her and to be more memorable than her. Right. And for us all to like live and embody this brand and for it to expand and keep going. Yeah. I mean, how do you do that when you're team? I mean, it's easier to do when you have five people. Mm -hmm. Now you guys have over 200. How do you do that with so many people? I mean, do you have a lot of all-hand meetings? Yeah, we have a <laughs> weekly stand-up that Gwyneth leads where we all sort of talk about sort of the leaders of different teams talk about what's happening within their particular part of the business or org. And then she introduces new hires, and we have like a little fun hazing ritual um, where they <laughs> tell us about their tattoos and their deepest secrets. I had a startup <laughs> scenario like that. They made us dance and do skits. It was oh, so We don't do that. <laughs> we just make people share a fun fact, which are typically like pretty funny. Yeah. And then we do, a, we have a lot of meetings. I mean, it's, it, that's another tough thing is like trying to not create too much of a meeting culture, but because right. we're so cross-functional, we're deeply cross-functional and we also have so many things going on. We all have to talk all the time. and But I'd say culturally, it's a lot of people, but the teams themselves aren't that big. Because mm-hmm. you think about all the different things that we're doing, whether it's magazine or beauty product development or retail, like it's not actually a huge number of people who are working on each initiative. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I feel like 
people get a lot of exposure and not an onboarding. It's not as formal as like we want it to ultimately be right. or it's fast. Right. But we're working on that. Well, and I would imagine too for a company like Goop, the voice has to be consistent mm-hmm. throughout. And so there's probably a learning curve a little bit, no matter how great of a writer you are. It's like, mm-hmm. well, actually, we never use that type of word. We always use this word, yep. st- little yes. stuff like that, right? And for that, you know, I have, I grew up at Lucky and I learned a ton from Kim France, um, who's the founding editor in chief, about you can write about things that are like aren't serious and it can be harder and more substantive than like a lead at the New Yorker. Like weirdly, there's a huge amount of rigor involved in not saying that's a, it's a really good black bag. Right. right? (laughs) Yeah. And so I feel like we have a, we do have a really good writing onboarding for like how to, how to actually write about stuff and, and within our wellness content as well. Like we try to write as though we're speaking to our smartest friend. Right. And that's sort of the North star. Yeah. And getting rid of unnecessary phrases, no throat clearing, like, getting into it, finding the service, like ultimately we're a service brand and then getting out. Right. Right. And I would imagine too, as you become a leader, you probably have become more interested in like leadership books and topics and experts. Do you have any that you want to share? Well, I have a lot of affection for Brene Brown. Oh yes. So Dare to Lead is out on, it came out recently and it's sort of a consolidation of all of her books in a work context. Oh, that's great. But there's a lot of personal learnings in there as well about emotional fluency and all these things that I think we, we're not even aware of. So she would be my number one go-to. And I think is she is deeply feminine in the way that she thinks about the world. And then I love like The Lean Startup I like Tara more. Like I like books like that too. I think mm-hmm. it's really helpful just for understanding like what is an MVP and why is it right. important. Yeah. Well, and I think it's like especially when you are running lifestyle, but you've got to have the business. Like you're probably talking to a lot of people who they speak in a lot of business jargon. So you're mm-hmm. like, okay, must must know what yeah. that is. And well, and I think that that's major for women because I think that we get out jargoned. And outmaneuvered and intimidated. Yes. And then you're like, wait, I totally understand that concept and that's a dumb word. It's like pushing yourself when you when you feel intimidated and you don't know what's going on, like I raise my hand all the time. And I try to do it for other people too, where I'm like, can you guys like for when we're at stand up and they're talking about performance marketing, can like does everyone know what a CAC is? Yeah. It's okay to not know what a CAC is or what the LTV is. And just making sure that people feel comfortable saying, I don't know this language and that then that women don't feel intimidated from stepping in. It's not that hard. It's not, you know, it's like you can learn it on the job. Absolutely. I think most people learn it on the job. Totally. I mean, I know I have a master's degree and I have an undergraduate degree and I learned more from on the job than both of those. And that everyone would agree with that, you know? And so I tell people this, I'm like, you're going to graduate from college and you're not going to understand how to use Outlook. And you're going to be like, what is going on? Still don't understand how to use Outlook. (laughs) Um, So just be ready because you're going to be like, I'm so savvy. And then quickly realize like, nah, I'm not as savvy, (laughs) you know? So I kind of have a question because uh, around disrupting media, because I think Goop is creating sort of this new era of media or what it means to be a media company. And I do think we're seeing more of these quote unquote Mm -hmm. traditional media companies move more into like the Goop side of things. So they're creating products, they're having events, they have more of a personality, right? Like Goop is Gwyneth, but 
you know, for example, like uh, I'm thinking of like a Condé Nast magazine is now starting to make their editor in chiefs like more personalities. I mean, where do you see Goop disrupting media going forward? Mm-hmm. I think we're already kind of doing it. And I think it's interesting to watch what's happening in traditional magazines. And I grew up like Lucky was one of the first disruptors, actually. We did things very differently in a way that, you know, editors were the models, for the most part, real girls. Right. Um, before bloggers. And there was a huge amount of interest in personal style and like these these real people and how they put together their outfits and shopping, right? Right on the page. Like that was a revolutionary concept to put the credit on the page. Right. Like typically before that you had to, I'm so old, but you had to go to the back <laughs> of the magazine and look up where to buy it and what it was. And so... Goop is similar, very similar, and we have a lot of lucky people. But one of the first things we did was say this old media concept of like church and state mm-hmm. and like we're going to obliquely stuff advertisers in here and no one's going to know. It's like this perpetual underestimation of women right. and readers, which I think continues to the state to some extent with traditional print. But I'm like, we all know, like the, everyone knows. So let's only work with brand partners who are part of our brand right. and let's like make them sing. Let's make it amazing. And people, they don't care. They're interested in who we're partnering with. And so I think that's one of the first things that we did was sort of this, we work really closely with brand partnerships. And the way that it works a lot is we go to them and we say, we really want to do this event. We really want to do the speaker series. We really want to do this story. And they're like, I, I know someone who will pay for you to do it. And it makes no difference to the reader. And it's the same content. It's just with a partner. So I think that that was a really important sort of disillusion and that we could sell things, that we could write about things and sell them and complete the cycle. Right. And that consumers are fine with that. They appreciate the service. Yeah. I think, again, it's like it had come traditionally from a place of underestimating women's ability to like – I think the marketers were like, oh, women are dumb or like they don't <laughs> get it, you know, or yeah. – Or they're not interested in that, you know? Yeah, or they're so easy to manipulate. And I think a lot of what we do at Goop is say that is not true. Like, whether it's content or brand – like, women can separate what works for them and what doesn't, what's resonant and what's not. Mm -hmm. They're very good at saying, like, oh, this is is interesting to me and this applies to me or "Eh, that not so much. Yeah, and I also like that you guys, I think, really helped – I don't know about totally start, but certainly propel the idea that like an author can be an expert. You know, Mm -hmm. it used to be this feeling of in magazines, it was only like the PhD who was working at XYZ University that the article would interview. And now you'll interview and you're like, well, this person's an expert. They've experienced it or they Mm -hmm. wrote a book about it or they have a blog or Mm -hmm. a website about it. And so almost like the credential is a little bit more of like, is this person obsessed with this thing and can they talk about it and share information versus are we checking boxes of, you know, degrees totally. to decide that? Yeah. It's, women are very interested in other women's experiences. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. It's like, uh, and you see this with bloggers and you see this with people who have sort of emerged as as experts. Right. Where they are deeply resonant with right. other women or men, but that that's real. Yeah. You know, and um, that's how that's how people like to get their information. Absolutely. So sticking with media for a second, um, obviously you guys have a lot of different verticals. How is video going to play a role in sort of the future of 
the goop content strategy, Mm -hmm. I'm sure everybody is with me when I say like video is the buzzword that is like, it's coming, it's coming, it's here. People only consume video now, you know, it's like. (laughs) It's funny. So we are definitely focused on video. That, that, and I know exactly what you mean Mm -hmm. about how video, 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 it's hard for me to connect to it too deeply. Like we definitely create video and there's some things that need to be a video. And I think you'll see some video like things from us that make a lot of sense, but I always have trouble connecting to that. And maybe it's cause I'm grinding at the office all day, but I don't watch a lot of video on my computer or my phone. My five-year-old does. Yeah. I was going to say it's the younger generation. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if the, I'm, I'm, I'll be very interested to see if it's something that people age out of as they have less time and need right. more like face-to-face interactions or like our readers are interested, but they're not like, it's not that like they consume video more aggressively than they consume other content. We're trying to like split the hair, mm-hmm. you know, and like get our feet see what wet works. and see what works without going crazy um, until we feel like, okay, this we've tapped a vein, you know, like right. like there are some things that we do, hands and pans, for example, like people love those cooking videos. It's actually right. really helpful to yeah. see it all come together really quickly. And we do some funny things like How Goopy Are You with celebrities or Gwyneth does a funny cooking series called Real Money Goop. But, yeah, we're curious. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that the written content isn't going anywhere because it it makes me concerned for our society that we're going to stop reading anything. And that has been, I think, grossly overstated. Like, I look very closely at stats and people will spend a long time reading stories. A lot of people will spend a long time reading stories. And as you know, people will listen to a full podcast. I think people still want really high quality content. Yeah, I think ultimately what it's going to come down to is like, scaling time for people so Mm -hmm. how can they make the most of their time which is why podcasts are so popular because they can listen to the podcast while they commute and so I think at the end of the day it's about where people are going to put their time and uh, if it's a video that's worth their time great if it's content reading that's worth their time great you know I think people will obviously make their own decisions about that hey there let's take a quick break from today's show so I can tell you about FabFitFun a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty, fitness, fashion, and lifestyle products. Spring is upon us, and it means more than just warmer temps. It also means that FabFitFun's spring box is ready to hit your doorstep. If you're one of the lucky ones to actually grab it before it sells out. Did I mention that all the seasonal boxes from FabFitFun do sell out? Well, that's because each box retails for $49.99, but always has a value of over $200, And because the boxes are seasonal, you get those four times a year. I've said it before, but it's really like Christmas coming to your doorstep four times a year, which is pretty great. They have beauty products from brands like Tarte, Kate Somerville, and Juice Beauty. And some of the fashion brands include Free People, Trina Turk, and even Michael Stars. When you sign up, don't forget that you can customize some of the items in your box as well which is really awesome because you're basically getting $200 of value of products, but you can customize it as well. And just for our listeners, you can visit fabfitfun.com and use the code FEMALS, F-E-M-A-I-L-S, to save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. Again, that's fabfitfun.com and use the code FEMALS to save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. Remember, you deserve to treat yourself. Okay, now let's get back to the show. I'm also kind of curious, how do you think, 
having Gwyneth as your leader helps with the overall brand. You know, we're seeing more of these. Obviously, Oprah is like one of the originals, but we've got, you know, Sofia Maruso with Girlboss, Gwyneth with Goop. You've got, I mean, people are kind of becoming celebrities. Like I would say Whitney Wolf Heard of Mm -hmm. uh, Bumble. Like I feel like there's a celebrity-ness Askness going on with founders and then companies. And I'm just sort of curious what your take is on that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there are certain leaders that sort of ignite curiosity in that same way. And then there are certainly others who sort of live in more obscure, live in the shadows, and that might be more their temperament. But I definitely, I think so. I mean, I think, again, it goes back to people wanting to sort of this cult of personality being really helpful, at least at the beginning in a brand curation. Because like you can, it's so much easier to look at someone and be like, I get it. I understand what this person is about than it is to look sometimes at a brand and be like, I understand, Mm -hmm. you know, and particularly with a brand, if there's no, there's nothing sort of visual or no visible person attached, I think it's harder. What I think is interesting will be as these brands, as some of these brands like Bumble and Girlboss get bigger, like the other leaders who sort of emerge and, and sort of also as people age, you know, like I, I love Sophia. I know her really well. And um, it's interesting to watch her just in the time that I've known her change. And I think it's a lot of pressure too to put on when brands become so tethered. Yeah. That like what happens when she's like, I'm not a, a girl boss. I'm a, like a mom boss. Or, I don't know, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, um, but I think that like, I think she's one of those people who's very capable of building really resonant brands and that, Ideally, I think Gwyneth's hope, and I think it's true, is like she's like made this thing and then it can stand on its own and let her be more behind the scenes and more operational because that's where she's really happy. Right. Well, and it it will be interesting to see how much of, uh, you know, as you said, like as people grow in their companies, but does the brand content stay the same or does it evolve with where they're at in their life? Mm -hmm. And that will be really interesting. I want to get into some career advice questions. Sure. <laughs> well, the first one is, what's Gwyneth Paltrow like as a boss? She's a great boss. I love, love, love working with her. Um, she is totally different, as one would expect, um, in the sense that she's not like someone who's like, now I grew up in corporate America, and I'm going to put on my boss hat, and this is how I was treated, so this is how I'm going to treat you. So she doesn't have a lot of like bad habits mm-hmm. that I think can develop when people are sort of fight have to fight their way to the top she is incredibly emotionally intelligent and very interested in sort of emotional motivations which is a really interesting way to work so you know if if I get heated about something I'm like you know really irritated then she's very quick (laughs) to just sort of want to understand why I'm like so triggered yeah which is really interesting right and it's taught me a lot like I can do that to myself first and She's incredibly intelligent. She's a very good student. Mm -hmm. And that's fun. Like, she's an active learner. I've always been that way as well. Not afraid of not knowing and not afraid of asking questions, clearly. And so that's interesting. Like, I feel like we know we're doing something different and there's no playbook. And so we sort of operate from a place of curiosity rather than, like, we're going to go do this. Yeah. Or this is the way we did it at my old company. So mm-hmm. this is how I'm going to do it here. Yeah. I know. I, I think sometimes uh, the the term like career transition is overused because really we should all be career transitioners because yeah. it's actually great to bring a whole like – 
either not have all that preconceived notion of how it was done at your last company, not to mention that annoys the crap out of people (laughs) if every sentence is like, well, the way we used to do it here. Um, But I think that actually makes you, as you said, like curiosity, you're Mm -hmm. a lifelong learner. And and sometimes that actually makes you better at that job. Totally. But a lot of people think, oh, I want to make a career transition. The cards are stacked against me. But hopefully more managers are are seeing yeah. that too and embracing that. And the world is rapidly changing. And so, yeah, it might be hard to go from like being a creative to being a performance marketer, but maybe not, you know, like it is nothing, things that worked yesterday don't work tomorrow. And it is a, it is an interesting world. Like we're really being a great creative problem solver, a good listener. Like yeah. those are going to be your most profound skills. What's your leadership style like? Benign neglect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I believe in giving people autonomy. So I believe in like preparing well and winging it. I believe in teaching people like the expectation and modeling it and really sort of getting them on board with how we, how things are done or like the voice, some of those things that can be trickier and, and just working really closely with them to the point of confidence and then letting them manage themselves. And in terms of, time in the office and all of that I'm very into autonomy Mm -hmm. particularly for creatives I think personally there are days when I can like sit down and write two chapters of a book and then other days when I'm useless (laughs) Um, and so I think I like to give people the freedom to power work when they feel inclined and to like take a breather and walk around the block when they don't and you probably also have to have that because you're busy and you yeah. can't you can't keep tabs on who's in the office who's not and no. I think it's certainly a trust thing so which it probably all comes back to hiring the right people to begin with but yeah um, for sure I definitely think that leadership styles where they believe like hey I'll hire smart people and they'll do the job I mean I feel like unless you've had a really bad experience before or maybe you've had some bad bosses before, I think ultimately that's what makes people want to be that type of leader. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so I've got two more questions before we go into rapid fire. Okay. Um, What is your best career advice for women who want to work for Goop or for a media company slash brand right now? Interesting. I think there's a major DIY part of it. I feel like if you want to write, write start writing. Like there's nothing to inhibit you from setting up a simple WordPress site. Don't worry about ageism. I don't care about that. I ha- And within sort of the content org, there are people who are older who are reporting to people who are younger and that's fine. Again, it's like really people have sort of own their, their beat. And I'd say network lower in the company. I think that's really important. I, I get a lot of requests I'm sure. For informationals, and I get hit up a lot on LinkedIn. And as much as like my every time, I'm like, oh, I want to do this. I know even if I like schedule something, I'll have to reschedule it five times. So start with the people who are not as quite as time strapped, right? And like, don't be shy, you know, about that about starting there. I know. I think that's great advice. And uh, we had someone on the podcast before where what she did to get into the magazine world, she just looked at the masthead and decided yeah. to find people that way. I mean, it's. 2018, it's not very hard not to hard. find people on the internet to connect to. Yeah, like um, instant message, you know, like um, Instagram chat. Like I talk to a lot of people that way. Yeah. And I'm always happy to pass on recruiter information like that. But yeah, it's really easy. So take like a tiny bit of time and yeah. then figure out a little bit about someone 
and sink your hook. You yeah, know? I like I listened to a podcast you were on before where you said if you're coming from an inter- for an interview at Goop, please read the Goop website first. Yes. And I've had the exact same experience with Career Contessa where I've interviewed people and I'm like, what's your favorite part of our site? And they're like, well, I really love things about yoga. I'm like. <laughs> what <laughs> like are we on the same interview you know it's just I mean you I love that they're trying but sometimes you want to be like it wasn't even that difficult it was Mm-mm. just you know and when I worked at Hulu we would ask them what was what's your favorite show on Hulu you know and it's just it's, it's a beginner question yeah. yeah yeah no and it's amazing how many people don't do that stuff I also go I also make people and I think this is a good hiring tip is I make people do edit tests. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there are variations of that that work across different parts of the business. Right. And that's incredibly helpful because some people do it with a lot of enthusiasm and they do it fast. And maybe it's not perfect, but I'm much more willing to overlook imperfections if they turn it around in like a day or two. Right. Some people don't do it at all. Yeah. And some people miss the deadline or give me something late and sloppy. So I would much rather see that people have tons of ideas quickly and that they're enthusiastic than the opposite. I so guess. they can send you a long memo of all your all exactly. their ideas. It's my payback. <laughs> I've got to read it. Um, okay, so these are some rapid-fire questions for you, which essentially means you can give me one word to one sentence questions, oh, or God. answers, I mean. <laughs> Brevity is not my strength. <laughs> Before a big presentation, you always... Meditate. Oh, that's good. I should try that. Favorite question to ask in an interview? What's the last book you read? Oh, that's a good one. Has anyone ever said something like, like, I don't read? (laughs) Some people will say, like, I I really haven't had a chance, which is a fine answer. I'm more interested in the honesty part of it. Right. You know, like you yeah. can always tell when someone's like, oh, I read The New Yorker every, every, every <laughs> week. That's a lie. Yeah. I, it's funny. I always tell people, I'm like, well, I don't read books anymore. I listen to everything on audiobook, but here's what I listened to lately. But that that's, qualifies. Yeah. Well, and that's such a like city commute like yeah. answer. Best working mom tip or favorite working mom tip? This is hard because it's, I mean, ditch the guilt. I reassure myself that they're seeing a different model of the world. But it's, some, it's a daily practice, to be honest. Like, right. easier said than done. <laughs> and then how do you plan to disrupt your career in 2019? I don't know if this is a disruption, but I want to I write a book. I would say that's disrupting your day-to-day. Okay. <laughs> that's disrupting. Maybe not in 2019, but we'll, I'm going to start thinking about it. Start your proposal in 2019. Yeah. Well, Elise, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us all about how Goop is disrupting the media world and all the great work. And I, I really love your message of like, we do a lot of different things and that actually makes us stronger. And I think that is a great message to send to women who are interested in a lot of different things and multi-passionate and not feeling like that burning question of what's that one thing you want to do in life, which is kind of the killer. So thank you so much for joining us and sharing that. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. Yeah, thank you. That was Elise Lowen, the Chief Content Officer at Goop and a woman working to disrupt traditional media and e-commerce. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to The Females and leave us a review. We're so grateful to hear from you, our listeners, And here's what at Isabel Valoria on Instagram recently said. Seriously, ladies, this podcast is so relevant. Already listened to four episodes since yesterday. Thank you, Isabel. Ready for more smart career advice? Sign up for our free 28-day career kickstart via the link in the show notes. 
or head over to careercontessa.com. You'll get one email a week that includes everything you need to uplevel your career. It's free and can change your life. I'll be back next Tuesday with Claire Mazur and Erica Cirillo, the founders behind Of A Kind and authors of Workwife. But until then, you can follow us on at Career Contessa on Instagram, share this episode with your workwives and Instagram community with hashtag the females podcast, and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. Writing this book forced us to sort of realize a lot of the things we knew intuitively and articulate them. And I think that idea of like, if I start tearing up in a conversation that shouldn't be emotional at all, but Erica knows exactly why I'm tearing up, that is so valuable to a working relationship. It, it made me realize I, I want to know these things about my employees too. Like, do I want to talk about their sick dog in every meeting? No. But do I want to know their dog is sick and like be able to keep an eye out for that? And yeah, that's really valuable to me.